And Yong, welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I am your host, Darren, and with me today, I have two guests who share the same first name, so I'm sure this won't get confusing. Uh, first of all, I have uh, Daniel Doughty. Uh, An Yong, Darren. <laughs> and second of all, I have Daniel Ifland. Hello. And I think it'll be easy for people to tell who is who, because... We all are from different parts of the world. <laughs> that's, so. that's true. Uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're all uh, from from different different places that were once under the thumb of the uh, of the tyrannical British monarchy. Uh, I, of course, <laughs> representing that land that uh, broke free of those chains, the United States of America, uh, over here. And I represent <laughs> Daniel speaking. Represent couldn't carry the way, frankly. <laughs> Uh, today's episode is episode four of season two. It's called Good Grief. It was broadcast on the 5th of December 2004. Uh, it's directed by John Levenstein, who this is his fifth and final episode uh, directing for Arrested Development. So we've talked about him quite a lot. And it was written by Jeff Melman. And this is the only episode uh, that he has written for the show. Um I don't recall ever seeing his name on the credits as a producer, so I'm guessing they just brought him in for this uh, this one episode. Um, he's uh, better better known as a director. Uh, yeah, it, it could be one of those like uh, I, I've I, I, as as a tremendous nerd, I have watched all of my Golden Age Simpsons DVDs with commentary on. Um, and apparently, what you'll have a lot sometimes is there's been like uh, in TV writing, there'll be like a story that's pitched by some of the the main the sort of the more uh, I don't know regular writers. But that gets farmed out to somebody uh, to sort of like you know farm it out to actually get the script, and they end up with the script credit. So I, I would imagine that's what happened with Mr. Melman here because we were like before we all started recording, we were kind of looking at his IMDb, and he's he's basically had his uh, had his fingers on just about every sitcom of the last twenty years. <laughs> he's got at least like one credit. It's 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 weird because um, he's mostly a director. Mm-hmm. I understand, rather than a writer. So I guess, I mean, it just must be that he knew uh, Mitch Hurwitz or he was on the Fox lot or just kind of something like that. And they, they got him in to write this episode. Mm, yeah. And Night, um, Night Court seems to be his sort of most extensive stay. <clears throat> he did sort of 77 yeah. episodes of yes. Night Court. But other than that, it seems wow. to be one shot, two shot. A little bit of uh, Malcolm Goes to Middle seems to be his other major credit. Which, of course, at this... I mean, Malcolm in the Middle was the lead-in for the first season of uh, Arrested Development. But for the second season, they pulled it back and it was... The the lead-in was The Simpsons. Um, Yeah. So Fox kind of... After it won the Emmy, trying to do something with it, (laughs) I guess. Uh, The Simpsons were still quite highly rated at the time, so... Um, I guess it was nice they tried something. I mean, obviously, we all know it didn't work. Um, So let me give you the summary of this episode, as it appears on IMDb, and it is this. George is declared dead in Mexico, and the Blue family holds a wake for their dead family member. Meanwhile, George isn't dead, and has returned to the USA, only to be found by a newly dumped George Michael. Um, And I think that's a pretty good summation of the episode. The episode is mostly about... Um, actually, on the previous episode, the on the next said that George would be de- declared dead within the hour. Um, so, <laughs> so they kind of gave away what was going to be happening in this episode, which I find in season two is a little bit more frequent in the on the next because in the first season, the on the next was sometimes used for a throwaway joke. Right. I was going to say it's mostly uh, the way I always remembered the show is that the on the next would almost always have no bearing on what was actually going to happen next, but was more 
just sort of a stinger on a sort of stream of jokes that had happened earlier in the episode. But yeah, so I mean, in this in this particular case, one of the on the next jokes turns into a plot line yeah. um, where George has been declared dead. Um, although in actual fact, um, you know, the, the way we find out that he escaped is he gave money to the jailers. But in the previous episode, Job hung up on him. Um, which made Michael proud of him, which of course was a mistake. He was just trying to put him on speakerphone. Um, so I don't know how George seen you got the money, but yeah. uh, maybe uh, he called. He, maybe he yeah. called back. I mean, it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Job is still. I was, the president, I was trying to come up with something really zany um, and madcap, and I was just like, no, nah, it was probably really mundane. So uh, first of all, before you really get into the plot, I just want to ask each of you, and I'll start with um, I'll start with Daniel. I'm going to say. Alphabetically, I'm going to go Daniel too, um, <laughs> because I'm just curious to see how this show was um, aired in Australia. Like, um, if you watched it when it was on in Australia, was it aired close to the American air dates, or did it take like a year to get over there? Um, you know, what was the situation? We were still in the the era of of any sort of critically acclaimed low rated show being shown possibly six months later in the middle of the night, and that happened consistently. That's how you watched everything. Uh, generally it, it's it's changed now uh because of quick to air and you know replaying people know they can't leave it that long uh at the time hearing you talk about it in the context of malcolm in the middle and the simpsons is just baffling because obviously it was on a completely different network split from those <laughs> so it had nothing to do with the simpsons yeah. nothing to do with that it'd be shown sort of late on a monday night at about eleven thirty. um the first show i had to just wait and buy on dvd uh, the first series. Yeah. So I had I'd heard about it. I'd seen one or two episodes, but I had to watch it in any regularity. I had to go and uh, get it on DVD. Um, the third by the third series, it was on on a sort of a regular spot at ten thirty at night. So I was able to get through that and then buy the DVD. And I think I may have <clears throat> consumed some in a, in a certain way at that point. <laughs> so that that was sort of it. But it, it was it was much more in the I'd say its closest antecedent would be like how a lot of us watch The Wire. You talk about it, it was popular in yeah. certain circles, and you'd, everyone had heard about it, but you couldn't actually watch it on network TV in real terms. <laughs> yeah. It's the yeah. Australian dilemma. Uh, yeah. You gotta, yeah. just gotta wait, you gotta wait for those steamers to come in, you know, from, uh, from around the horn. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's odd because I would have thought it would have been not on like a, you know, not high profile, but I know, I know for a fact that The Simpsons, because obviously it was one of the flagship programs that fox made and obviously uh as as we know most of australia is owned by the person who owns fox <laughs> um so i would have thought that it would have like that this would have because it was actually produced by fox studios it was it's not just on the fox network it was actually just, yeah. a fox studios production so i would have thought it would have got to australia a little quicker but uh, uh, they may happen quick but our because we have local content rules so you know in prime time we have to have a certain amount that are, that is australian australian produced that the narrowness of what sitcoms get on television here especially at that time because we didn't have sort of extra channels at, the, at now the free-to-air channels will have yeah. two more channels each to, to go through yeah. digital at that time they only had their own channel and they would be just i mean i can't even imagine what it would be at that time but the simpsons would run <laughs> probably somewhere around 10 to 12 times a week on repeats and new ones on on its yeah. free to air channel, and there just wouldn't be any room during prime time because they would be showing Australian content plus whatever was big in America at the time, yeah, and the UK, yeah. And going alphabetically, Daniel number yeah. one, 
did you you had the privilege of being in the country that broadcast the show? <laughs> That's right. The, did you watch the it? Goddamn US of A. Did you watch it? Uh, <laughs> did you watch it when it was on the air? Did you help keep it on the air by giving it ratings? Well, or did you be- betray it and get to it later on when it was on DVD? <laughs> it was kind of it was and cause its cancellation. <laughs> it was honestly it was kind of a it was kind of a combination because I for a very long time um, I honestly I've never been very good at appointment TV. Um, and, and when I was, it was only like in my youth or like in high school when, you know, I, I wasn't popular and didn't have anything to do. Um, so I could be available to watch appointment TV. Um, but, uh, Arrested Development started when I was about, uh, a third of the way through my college career. It was two years after I started college. So that'll let you know how long college took for me. Um, but, uh, so, so by then, like the, uh, you know, I, I was much less likely to be like in any given place at a you know seven o'clock on a Sunday night, which I think is where it is here. I, I'm in the Central Time Zone, which in the United States we have the the continental United States has these four time zones, and so television is usually aired, um, like like it's aired at the the Eastern Time Zone, and then I'm an hour behind that. And then for the West Coast, you know, Pacific Coast, it'll be aired at the Pacific Time Zone, but then for everyone inland, they have to watch it an hour ahead. You know, so uh. uh so that that would make it a little more, you know, it, it was situated in a, in a prime time for a while that I never, you know, was able to quite catch. I had I had heard about it, and then uh, it, it was actually it was while they were releasing the DVDs while the show was still, you know, being produced and aired. Um, and so it was actually my dad, uh, my mom and dad, who my dad especially, who kind of first got a real hankering for it, and and were, and were like, "Damn, you ought to watch this. It's terrific." And so, knowing that, I, I, I bought my dad the uh, the first uh, season on DVD for Father's Day. I guess this must have been like uh, Father's Day, like 2004 or something. And uh, and sat down and watched some of it with him, and I was like, holy crap, this is great! Uh, so, from there on in, I, 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 I would catch it when I could, but that wasn't all that great until... Like, I, I, you know, I finally got the rhythm, so in the second season, I was like, I was there giving it ratings and whatnot. I mean, we, we weren't a ratings family, so... I didn't really give it ratings, but, you know, I was doing it in spirit. Then the third series comes around. And, you know, we know the show's really struggling. It's It has a lot, in the United States at least, it had a lot of uh, schedule changes, a lot of schedule switch-ups. And it landed on Monday nights. And it w- happened to be airing on Monday nights right when I had my urban geography course uh, in, in university. So there was never any way I was ever going to get it, uh, ever catch it. So it actually... I, I never got to see its sort of, uh, you know, its sad demise until, you know, that came out on DVD a couple years later. So I, I'm a bit of a hybrid and I, I probably did not do any real good to keep it on, on television. <laughs> Although I, I adored it from almost the first time I watched it though. I, I've been, a, I've been an Arrested Development yeah. fan for, uh, just, just ever since it was introduced to me. First of all, we get, I mean, Michael, uh, we, he's, he's, he's been made vice president. This is something that's happened between episodes <laughs> because previously he's just been wandering around the building while Job has been president, destroying various things, putting holes in wall and the like. And, um, <laughs> Job asks, uh, so did you see the new poop? <laughs> and Michael quickly closes the door and goes, His name's Gary and we don't need any more lawsuits, okay? And then Joe picks up a magazine and goes, No, I was talking about the magazine. <laughs> and then I love Will Arnett's pause where he goes, Wait, Gary's gay? Gary. <laughs> and this is the debut of Abraham Higginbotham as Gary. And Abraham Higginbotham is a writer on the show. Oh. Um, and he's... He, he's written a number of... Episodes. He's really quite attractive for a television writer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
He is, he is, as Zoolander would just say, ridiculously good looking. He is just so. But he wrote, he wrote in the first season, um, uh, in God We Trust and Justice Is Blind. Oh, marvelous! Um, and in this season, he will write Afternoon Delight, oh. uh, the Immaculate Election, when he makes a, a reappearance as the character of Gary mm. and Spring Breakout. So. Um, yeah, I, he basically he just got the part because he was a writer and they needed someone in this role. He is himself gay. Okay. Oh. Um, and some and some of the episodes that he wrote um, concerned Tobias. <laughs> right. Um, so That's I, I'm actually he, you know, he kind of, I'm honestly very glad to know like uh, I'm very glad to know that there were actual gay writers on staff for Arrest Development yeah. because so yeah. many of the you know I. I in rewatching it, I, I kind of think like here we are more than ten years later. Like, I'm 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 happy that they did not go as hacky with some of the gay jokes as they could have. Honestly, at the time, yeah, and it and it holds up very well. And I I would I would have to credit the fact that there are actual gay people there on the writing staff to say like, no, actually, that's not funny or good, and it's very mean, and and instead make it about you know yeah. the about the gay characters rather than about a character being gay if that makes any sense yeah well here we have the sequence where job reveals that he had um <laughs> he's he said to gary you've got a nice yeah. mouth and then he says i'd kill for that ass and then of course he has gary sitting on his lap on a chair and he's leaning back and he says okay the chair's not doing it now but lately it's been giving out as soon as i lean back and i don't know why he needed gary on his lap <laughs> to tell him that but maybe you can't you have to it's it's a it's a vibration that you don't hear as much you have to feel it so he has to be in physical contact with it. <laughs> but of course he could have just sat in the chair himself who the who the hell knows joe block yeah you know and of course we we find out anyway i was talking about poof magazine the magazine for magician and then we we see that uh job says uh this guy tony wonder bakes himself into a loaf and then pops out in a giant sandwich and tony wonder is played only in photograph in this episode by ben stiller and apparently they didn't know that they would ever get him to come on the show in person. They literally just put him on, like, in this picture. Uh, and he has, like, a little gong that sounds and yeah. it's like a little sting. kind of a musical accompaniment for him. Uh, he has his own little sting. And it's literally, they just said to Ben Stiller, I can't even remember how they got to it, but one of the, the kind of cast members was like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he'll he'll do this. <laughs> And so they just put him in. And then, of course, he returns later on. And the weirdest thing is Ben Stiller's wife actually is a character before Tony Wonder appears as a character. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's <laughs> it's just it's kind of crazy. When ben, when he says that and he says he pops out of the sandwich, is that when he said he, and he feeds the troops? That killed yes. me, that line. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think Job says it with a little air quotes. Almost like, or he says, like, with vocal air quotes, like, to feed the troops. Yes. And I love that he says, uh, I was going to boil myself into a ch chowder and then be ladled into a joint cauldron <laughs> to entertain and feed the firemen, which is... It, and Michael's like, yeah, it's pretty close. Like, as if that's the same idea. Yeah. It's, uh, and then, of course, as Job yells at the top of his voice, I should be in this poof. You see uh, Gary in the background catches that, that ex exclamation and quickly runs in the opposite direction. <laughs> right. um, uh, poor Gary. Poor Gary is picking up on more of Job's 
desires than Job is. <laughs> a a, a yeah. perennial theme of this um, television show. Ice has found uh, George Sr. Um, at the end of the last episode, um, <laughs> rather than have uh, Jean Parmesan look for uh, George Sr., they put uh, Ice onto the task because he seemed competent. <laughs> Uh, unlike Jean Parmesan, who who basically seems to spend most of his time revealing himself, <laughs> right? He's creating, yeah, elaborate disguises. That helps. <laughs> yeah, um, and then obviously, you know, uh, I, I I love <laughs> I love how Michael sums up the situation by saying, uh, "Dad goes back to jail. I can be cleared. I can be present again." And Job says, "And I'm halfway get halfway to getting out of this office and into a steaming well, bowl of soup." <laughs> Jesus. It's amazing how quickly a show can get to a line like that, and that's within about what ninety seconds of the start of the show. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. a very dense yeah. line to put ninety seconds into a television show. Yeah, um, and then obviously, <laughs> um, you know, because Lucille is the one who has, you know, has said that that Ice has found it. He's he's on the phone, and then she says. Oscar, close it. You look like the window of a butcher's <laughs> shop. And uh, he has the t- kind of trademark uh, kind of blue circle <laughs> right. uh, covering him. Um, given the reaction that um, that, that uh, Buster had in the previous episode, I think we're led to believe that Oscar is fairly well endowed. Um, I w- you know, I, I, yeah, the, just the... Even with that line, you look like a window in a butcher's shop, like I... I then found myself, and this was terrible, but I then found myself visualizing, like, what array of, say, meats <laughs> and clusters of garlic or something would, <laughs> would a human, you know, pedendum uh, most resemble. And that, it's probably a hard salami. And, uh, and like I say, a couple, couple of bunches of uh, garlic. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and Michael goes to the, the banana stand, and we start uh, a running joke um about i don't know how to say it, about peanuts uh the peanuts kind of motif yeah. runs through this yeah, the yeah. episode obviously is titled good grief um but when when we get to the banana stand there's a little sign that says the the banana maker is out yeah. uh, which obviously oh my god the uh, psychiatrist I, is yeah. in i had out. never put that together before until <laughs> just now guys oh boy <laughs> it's well, it's the first one too yeah. so it comes before any of the musical accompaniment or the the feet dragging, so it doesn't yeah, actually it, have any. You must, you have to sort of watch comes, it the third it comes time. Comes before yeah. any of the. You're, 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 you're right, Daniel. Yeah, Thank you. I feel less stupid. The... Thank you. <laughs> no, it took me about eighteen days <laughs> to get through it. <laughs> comes before the Christmas time is. is yeah, yeah. The Christmas time, Christmas time is the Vince Guaraldi. The, yeah, uh, the Vince that plays um, when the people get sad, and a lot of people get sad <laughs> in this episode, and they all get sad in the same way. And so, obviously, uh, we we. Anne has only been in um, two episodes to this point. She was introduced uh, making a mayonnaise, um, which is as disgusting as it sounds. In the previous episode, she was called a number of different names by uh, Michael, such as Hog and Clan. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and she's kind of like, um, at this particular point, you know, she, she's she's kind of getting annoyed about um george michael's father kind of interrupting them at every turn and i love how um when she says that's a perfect example of how your father always interrupt and then you see the phone <laughs> vibrating on yes. the table 
and it's just it like proves her point and that's what i love about this kind of like this scene here where like um and breaks up with george michael um and then obviously you know um <laughs> i love when he when he's when michael says uh i didn't want to want to say before what you were <laughs> yes. egg. and <laughs> george michael corrects him by saying i'm actually still talking with anne and uh, I love how Michael's like, oh, she's still going now. <laughs> and the thing is, she, she hasn't been able to get any ago. words out yeah. because he keeps interrupting. Yeah, so I, I love the kind of the weird irony that, that comes through this phone call. And then obviously the scene finishes with Anne just saying, I think we should break up. And then Michael Sarah doing this An kind instant, of weird right? cry. <laughs> this is like a kind of, I, I love it because it's like a, it's like, the dam has burst, but there really wasn't even all that much time for anything to build up behind the wall. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's a very pathetic kind of cry. I always yeah. want, I always wonder how that show makes cruelty to Anne so funny. Like, <laughs> it's so horrible, and I laugh so much every, every time. time. Yeah, and I think it's because I guess it's because Anne. The way it helps is that Anne's oblivious to what they're saying, but also yeah. better than yeah. Them. So she like. She's better than that's him. true. She does like care. she's she's alternating and alternatingly innocuous or like a genuine sort of positive influence on the world. So yeah. The, the, yeah. I think the joke's more on them for these the, these people Absolutely. not being able to yeah. see past themselves and being rude about this you know young lady who never hurt anybody. Mae Whitman is such a, a, a fun actress to watch and so mm -hmm. charismatic. And they made a basically a movie about Anne or sort of a version of Anne called The Duff. Have you ever seen The Duff? So, it, Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a great yeah. movie, 10 years after Arrested Development, based on the same idea that this beautiful young woman <laughs> is not that beautiful. And it's amazing <laughs> that 10 years later, they still had yeah. that. I, someone obviously had that idea in their head that this woman from Arrested Development... <laughs> like, did they think they were serious in this show when they said it? Or was it just an amazing idea that that movie was made? It's it's really it's really weird because Mae Whitman, like, here she's playing a high school student and she is roughly high yeah. school age. I think she's only, like, a year older than mm. Michael Sarah. And then, like, in Perks of Being a Wallflower, she's playing a high school student now, <laughs> like, nine years later. And then in the Duff, like a decade later, she's playing a high school student, and I'm like, at some point, someone's going to have to let Mae Whitman not she's gonna, play a high school student. She has to go student. to university. She has to get higher education. Poor Mae Whitman. <laughs> she's been yeah. taking general mathematics now for a decade. I think. I think the funniest thing is is that in um, Scott Pilgrim, when she reunited with Michael Sarah, she was not playing a high school student, and he wasn't playing a high school student. They were both actually adults and yeah she's quite these were these were adults who behaved in very high school ways yeah, oh scott there. pilgrim <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so ice is at the the um the the uh, balboa towers he's there to impress the family attorney um you know and the narrator reveals that Indeed, Ice had always bounty hunted to support his first love, party planning. Which is such a, a weird hey. kind of thing. I just, I just love it as a kind of odd detail to this character. Uh, you know, it's uh, first of all, it takes all kinds. And second of all, to, to quote uh, the great Walt Whitman, of course, grandfather of Mae Whitman, uh, I am large and I contain multitudes. So, you know. <laughs> In fact, I spoke a little about this on the previous episode. Obviously, Malik Yoba is a great actor, and he does yeah, yeah. good work here as Ice. And and this, they do a similar thing with Starla, where she appears in the first episode 
um, where she's the business model, where she's relatively normal. And then in further episodes, they turn her into a Quincy Jones stalker. <laughs> they kind of ratchet her up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think they kind of do the same thing here with Ice. This is this is the, the last time we'll see Ice because um, he's only in the, the, you know the, mm. these two episodes. Um, but he he just suddenly becomes this guy who is a bounty hunter only to so he can be a party planner. Right, right. He's he's this bounty hunter who rides a you know a sweet hog. And yeah. <laughs> uh, but but turn around and it was like it is a a dapper entertaining maven, uh, in his in his in his trueness truest form. And I I just love how Arrested Development will take small characters that are only in a couple of episodes and they will they will kind of introduce them as a relatively sane person and then they will shade them so that they're <laughs> right. slightly not as sane. Uh, not that Ice is crazy, but I just love how distracted he gets from doing anything else but party planning in this episode. <laughs> right, like. <laughs> He, you know, he when when he leaves at the end, he's like, you know, leave the chafing dishes out. <laughs> yeah, that's like, a great line. His mind is still on the party planning, right? It's, but I think it's just it's just like a really it's a really good character, even though it's mm. just two episodes. He kind of leaves, and the show and the yeah. family just shrug. Like, there's no comment that he wants to be a party planner. It's like, oh, we should hire that guy. Is he here? Like, <laughs> that's they, right. <laughs> there's no. Look. And I love that the the fact that he's called Ice. Ice the bounty hunter sounds kind of. Uh, you know, kind of very credible mm. as a bounty hunter, but the fact that his party planning advert says you can't have ice, a party yes. without ice <laughs> makes him seem like kind of a more fun <laughs> character than he actually is. Um, uh, Darren, yeah. would you say that ice is a cool bounty hunter name? <laughs> yeah, I guess mm-hmm. so. Alright. Um, and then um, we get a little bit of we know we don't get a great deal of Tobias in this episode. He was tackled by Ice in the previous episode and had to go to hospital because he had internal injuries. Uh, but in this episode, he's actually Tobias is a little bit more subdued. Um, and I do I do love when uh, uh, you know maybe is kind of because obviously there's an open relationship going on with the the Fionkes, and maybe talks about how you know uh, Lindsay flirting in front of him has got to bother him. And he says, I am surprised, though, that she's going after somebody so similar to my own type. <laughs> but I suppose we all do expose our inner desires, don't we? And, of course, maybe says, yeah. I think you just did. No, and Tobias goes, no. <laughs> that, is, that is a great line. That's what I, I picked up on as I was watching and preparing for, uh, to record with you guys. That, that kind of like, it, it shows a twinkling of awareness of that you rarely see in Tobias. Because he, he's aware that, like... Like, oh, maybe he thinks that I'm, you know, I, I, I understand what maybe thinks happened just right there, but no, you don't know my actual <laughs> real desires. <laughs> <Look>. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a great, and this is obviously the, the running theme throughout this episode for maybe, uh, which cu- puts all together with Barry, which is the kind of the first time we've seen these two characters. And I think the last time we'll see these two characters interact, because I can't recall any other stuff going on with maybe and Barry yeah. uh, after this. Um, and... You know, he, he says that um, if they both manage to, you know, have affairs, Barry says, uh, I could have you out of this house and on the street in a month, which is such an odd thing to say to what is essentially a, a 15-year-old teenage girl. But, you know, uh, Barry is not known for... I don't even know why she she thinks he can do that, because he's not... Like, as George Sr. said, he's the worst lawyer, so <laughs> right. I don't know why she trusts I mean, his opinion. I, I imagine this uh, might be... I, I think I... I don't know if it was at the time or what, 
or maybe like rewatching on DVD or something like that and got curious. But I, I looked into it, and there is indeed a provision in California law for uh, for a minor to of emancipate. a certain, I think, of a certain age to like go ahead and like cut ties with her parents, his or her parents, and it is called emancipation. Yeah. Like it's a thing. But yeah, I, I really doubt it's as, as it's as pat and easy as Barry <laughs> seems to indicate. It mostly exists so that um, child actors can work longer hours. Oh, that I didn't know. That's yeah. the main reason. That's the main reason it was introduced. God. That's why, like Macaulay Culkin, like emancipated from his parents at age fourteen, yeah, so that he could work the longer hours on some of the films that he was getting. Oh, so it's it's a bit um, of Dickensianism uh, in, <laughs> in Tinseltown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Child child labor laws only apply, <laughs> you know, if you're still someone's child. Right. If you are your own boss, you can work for as long as you want. So that's why it exists in California, which might be a bit of a funny nod towards. The fact that Michael Sarah and, um, you know, Mae Whitman and Ali Shawkat most likely would have emancipated so that they could work longer hours yeah. on films, you know, especially Mae Whitman, who's been working since she was like six years yeah. old. So she's done a lot of films. So why doesn't um, Hollywood exclusively use orphans? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that was. It seems like that would be a good. That idea, was kind of. It? That was back in the old studio system days, Daniel. Uh, you know, since since like they moved away from the contract <laughs> players and stuff like that. You know, there there aren't as many yeah. orphanages owned that... by say MGM or Warner Brothers as there used to be. So <laughs> stupid unions. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's that goddamn sack. I tell you what. There's got to. There's got to be a good movie in like an MGM orphanage. <laughs> yes. Um. Anyway, Ice makes his presentation saying, you know, when word got out that he's building houses for Saddam Hussein, he escaped to Mexico, where, as you know, he was arrested and interred in a local prison until he was killed by this guard. His body was held for six days in the prison walls. <laughs> and this is where Michael stops him and goes, sorry, he killed a guard? And then Ice corrects him and says, no, the guard killed him. He's dead, buried in Mexico. And I love how... <laughs> Ice is just ready to keep on going with his presentation, <laughs> right. not realizing that he's basically told everyone in the family that they're apart from Buster, obviously, that their their grandfather or or father or husband is dead. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, we we get the uh, the reference to his perfect teeth. Um, but yeah, they did, you know, uh, identified yeah. through his dental records, and uh, that's Lindsay's first. I think that's Lindsay's first breaking into her what will be really her for the rest of the episode. Her just being consumed with grief. With her talking about, he always yeah. credited that glisten. I can hear him now. Who left the cap of my f***ing glisten? And it like breaks down like it's a beautiful yeah. moment. Yeah, and glisten isn't a real brand, but they did want to use a real toothpaste brand, but that toothpaste brand turned them down. And so they made up glisten as a fake brand. Yeah. And if you listen to the commentary on this episode... They, Mitch Hurwitz was super annoyed that they couldn't just use a, a regular actual brand and they had to make a fake one because he thought oh. it didn't sell the joke properly. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, allow, allow but, me to yeah. kind of make up for it here. I am going to, on uh, on the show here, uh, I'm going to officially endorse AIM brand toothpaste. You'll find it on the bottom shelf <laughs> of the grocery store. It's 99 cents a tube. Terrific. <laughs> um, and then this is where we get... Um, the joke about people not knowing what they're saying. Um, yes. <laughs> starting with Lucille, who says, who says that, you know, um, th you know, this is really happening, all this awful funeral stuff. Um, <laughs> she goes, uh, Is it in your car, Barry? I'm going to throw up. Check the car, Barry. I don't know what I'm saying. 
And I kind of just love how she goes into this really long speech. Um, and then obviously <laughs> Barry says very specifically, the will is at my office next to the hot plate with the frayed wires. <laughs> yeah, like he's, I, I love that it's like, his, 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 I just love this pitch. Like you, he won't admit to the irresponsibility of having lost it, but he's perfectly willing to cop to the irresponsibility of leaving it next to the hot plate with frayed wires. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the narrator, of course, just tells us Barry had lost George Senior's will. And then obviously this is where maybe actually says they have to have a wake, which you know it's unusual that she would be the one to suggest this. Mm. Um, I would have thought Michael would have been the one, but I guess uh, you know she sees this as an opportunity f- to fix her mother up. Yeah. Um, and then of course she says, "I don't know. Maybe we could get ice to cater it or something." I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) And I love how within a few seconds, that phrase kind of has become an excuse for whatever people want to say. Um, And of course, the rule of three applies here as Job says he will be his father's body. Um, Because he loved magic so very much. And Michael says, I don't think Job knows what he's saying. (laughs) Uh, Which is true because in in the previous episode where Job accidentally got a phone call from George Sr., he actually said, you know, all those years of making fun of me for the magic. So he knows that his father doesn't love magic. Or doesn't love Job doing magic, more specifically. Yeah, but that's about what's... There's about seven sentences there between the three characters all showing their just venal self-interest. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, between yeah. Lucille, maybe, and Job, just like bang, bang, bang. Oh, they're all horrible. Perfect. Like it takes, it does take no yeah. time at all. And I love how you know he's he's saying that he's going to be buried and emerge a week later. <laughs> Michael just goes, "Is this about getting into poof?" And Job just goes, "I mean, how does that not get me? <laughs> how does that not get me covered?" Yes. Obviously, it will get that trick. Will get him a cover, but not in the way that he wants. <laughs> and then this is where they decide to not tell, uh, not tell Buster. And I, I love how. We, we still get we, I, well. I was just going to say, Oscar gets one of his his more his like his musical stings about the uh, you know the origin of Buster, where he says, "I think the boy's been lied to enough." Oh yes. Um, obviously, referring to to the fact that he's his father. I really love this introduction of Buster because he just kind of like shows up at the at the Balboa apartment and explains that he's here because Army had half a day. Um, and then what's great, what's, what I really love about Buster in the Army is that like. It's not a matter of Buster pretending he's going to army all the time, but really not. Although sometimes it is that. But then also other times it's that the army does by and large operate in a very kind of like loose kind of way, allowing for such a things. Like, you know, as it's depicted in other episodes, I fully believe that the United States Army has half a days, you know, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and the but he's not yet Buster. been put into hero squad, so. Um... <laughs> That's right. It's probably, you know, he, he practiced so much sand racing that, uh, yeah, you know, they let him off really that day. I've been enjoying listening to the podcast so much. The anytime anyone talks about Buster, they have a smile on their face. You can hear it on the podcast. Anytime <laughs> I watch that show, have I, it's such and and I mean I'm sure we'll talk about it. Everyone will talk about it, but it's he's so unique as a mm-hmm. comedy character it, in this show, but in any yeah. shows, he's sort of a naif, but he's funny. He's angry, but he's never over the like everything about him is is a little bit off different from that archetype of sort mm-hmm. of the dopey 
sort of naive character. And that that half a day is exactly that joke that he sells that like anything. He just walks in like, it, it, yeah, you're right. It's the casualness that he believes it. So we believe it. So oh, yeah. we had half a day. Of course they sure. do. Why wouldn't they? Because yeah, yeah. It's, oh, he's perfect. He's just perfect. I'm going to say, uh, as we record this episode, it's Tony Hale's birthday. Oh, oh. It's, so, that's marvelous. Hey, and uh, hey, you know, Tony yeah. Hale has uh, big time connections with my town. I, I live in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, Tony Hale is a, an alumnus of a uh, local private Christian university, Samford, uh, and has made known his affection for the great city of Birmingham, Alabama, uh, several times on national <laughs> television without being prompted oh. to do so or otherwise, you know, sort of had the screws <laughs> put to him. He apparently has genuine affection for us. So uh, Tony Hale is all right in my oh, book for, for that and many other reasons. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is where we find out um, why they're trying to keep this secret, um, because apparently Buster lost a parakeet when their their uh, their housekeeper Rosa uh, didn't feel the bird land on her wig, and she took out the trash, and he flew into a transformer <laughs> and died. And then um, when Buster found out, he destroyed the family's kitchen, believing this to be where Rosa lived. <laughs> which is which is a which a, is a fantastic child of privilege joke. <laughs> This is where, <laughs> again, Oscar with his uh, when they when they're talking about planning a birthday party, and and he says, "Oh, it's your father's birthday, which coincidentally is my birthday." And once again, he gets his little musical sting, hmm. um, and then obviously Buster says, uh, "Because you're twins." <laughs> <laughs> uh, once again, missing the whole point. Um, and then when we get back home, we see that. Uh, uh, George Michael, Michael Sarah comes in with possibly one of the best entrances ever as he just kind of <laughs> walks in completely despondent and with his head down and he just basically like hits the ground. Yes. <laughs> just kind of lies down on the floor, completely exhausted. <laughs> now, I can't remember. Is this the point where they have the... Uh, charlie brown where they have the Snoopy. i think so yeah because i think there there's a shot yeah. of him walking sort of down the road down the street uh yeah. and he pa and he passes yes. by yeah, a uh, a dog lounging on top of a dog house uh in a in a visual cue it's not just any dog it's not just any dog it, it is, is a, a little beagle, beagle. okay yeah I, I didn't uh, look yeah, close enough it's lying on um uh and in the background two kids walk past with a uh, christmas tree see i didn't even see yeah. that god damn this is opening up <laughs> whole new worlds for me but yeah i think that's, that's the first time and we had the music cue with the yeah. with the christmas time is here the vince Guaraldi trio uh famous recording from the charlie brown christmas special and obviously the uh also the where the the, the beagle is lying on top of a red dog house as well yeah. so Hmm. totally completes the visual just the way he he Daniel, just melts into the ground when he gets into the into the lounge room he just sort really of like, fantastic. just becomes one with the floor yeah it is a fantastic entrance day yeah. i just love i just love it so much um and then obviously you know um <laughs> i love when michael says i've got some bad news hmm. <laughs> george michael goes is Anne telling everyone <laughs> and i don't know how I don't know how he would think that his father would hear about this from Anne or via Anne or via someone Anne knows. Like, I don't understand the logic of that, but obviously, you know, it's the only thing that's on George Michael. Exactly. It's, it's the, it's the um, logic that can only come from the fevered, paranoid social imagination of a teenager. You know, George Michael kind of plays up that he, he broke up with Anne. Uh, rather than kind of get into it with his, his father. And obviously the, the funny thing is, like... He will, <laughs> he will tell this to Pop Pop later on, where he'll say, 
you know, I didn't want to kind of bother my dad with it. And Pop Pop's like, your instinct was correct. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just the perfect kind of George Senior line where he's like, yeah, you shouldn't be bothering your father with <laughs> trivialities of you breaking up with your girlfriend. You should be sad because I am not really dead, but I should be dead. Like, it's just so funny. Um, and I love how Michael says, uh, she wasn't for us. <laughs> and then obviously, yeah, oh. George Sick. Michael's like, no, she's a great girl. And he's like, for other guys. And then he <laughs> right. goes, you think there were other guys? And then, of course, Michael falls back on, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> which I think is kind of like a really good kind of end um, to that scene. And we get a little bit of, um, like, the coffin trick is, is introduced. And we see Job, once again, explaining how a trick is done. Um, which he, he really should stop doing, but he can't help himself. Um, and then, you know, he, he basically shows the trapdoor and all this kind of stuff. Um, and we get see a scene, you know, between Buster and Job. And, you know, I always kind of like this pairing mm-hmm. because the dynamic of like the oldest and youngest and kind of, it's always, it's really weird because Job always seems to want to bully Buster um and yet no one seems to want to rescue buster from this bullying. <laughs> they just kind of let it happen i think i think they're a really i think they're a really good pairing also because they they complement each other so well in that job is a is a supremely incompetent man who believes himself to be sophisticated and buster is a supremely uh is a man who believes himself to be completely incompetent and yet will show some sort of uh almost um what is it sort of idiot savant moments of clarity uh there and so and i think yeah. in that way they kind of uh, they they very well balance each other and it it gives you the idea of like like you yeah. say he wasn't rescued from um, bullying and we're seeing them in their sort of mid 30s early 40s the amount that that must have happened as children <laughs> right. like the decades of joe being horrible to buster or trying to be horrible to buster as it goes it's just been going <laughs> on and on yeah we've seen flashbacks where he's been like why are you hitting yourself why are you hitting yourself and that mm. just seems to be their constant dynamic right. over kind of like three decades is why are you hitting yourself? Um, and I, I love how, you know, Buster questions why he's doing this coffin trick. And, um, you know, Joe gives the excuse of, say, hey, Dad, look at you. You're a year older. <laughs> and a year closer to death. Yes. Black humor. Yes. <laughs> I love I love Will Arnett's kind of... Um, He's almost kind of starting to feel the grief of thinking mm. that George Senior's actually gone. Yeah. So when he says that line, his voice kind of cracks a little bit as if when he gets to saying the words death, he sounds quite sad that he, you know, his father might actually be dead. Um, but I just love Tony Hale's immediate delivery of, <laughs> I guess that's kind of funny. <laughs> like, oh, oh, yeah. And then the, he decides he decides to that he has to wear an army uniform, um, and obviously Buster says, you know, strippers don't wear clothes. Yeah. And Job's like, not at the end of the show. And Buster says, you mean you can wear stripper clothes when you're not stripping? And then of course Job uh, break away trousers. He just pulls them straight immediately, off. <laughs> and he's like, you tell me. <laughs> and the, and this delivered so great with that like that tone again that tone of supreme confidence despite having just like taken his pants <laughs> off in one second and just like looking at Buster like huh impressed <laughs> like standing there in your underpants and that that's an answer to the problem and that that's an answer to the problem 
like I need an army, yeah. I need an army outfit. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, that's okay, that that will sort that out then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Now, obviously, this is where George Michael, uh, whilst going for a walk to grieve both losses, uh, he stumbles upon Pop Pop, and Pop Pop has got a big beard. I don't know where this big beard has come from. He's got kind of unkempt hair. I'm not sure where this has come from. Because you know he was only in Mexico a few days ago. Um, I, I think it's. I think and it's, he's in a hole. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I think I have to believe like all the like dishevelness is entirely in the service yeah. of that Saddam Hussein joke, where they find him, you know, in the and, and the thing is like I, I think that's sort of, I think that's passed from general memory well enough that this I think to any to any children we might have watching it that yeah, would just seem very bad. Of course, you know George <laughs> Michael. Um, he he inspects uh, the teeth the same way that Saddam Hussein's teeth were inspected. I don't know why anyone inspects Saddam Hussein's teeth. Uh, I guess because obviously, <laughs> right. and this is a joke that will come up in basically the penultimate episode of the original run, um, Saddam Hussein was known to have a number of doubles. So I guess they would have to check the teeth for that reason. Yeah, yeah that's right. I don't yeah. think that, uh, I, well, I say that George Senior does have one double. So the joke kind of works. Uh, it was, it was the teeth. It was baffling to me. I watched it with my partner last night and we were watching it and we were giggling all the way through. And that part, I actually had to think. Like it took me probably till after <laughs> that scene had finished. I was like, oh, that's right. It's a Saddam Hussein joke. Like yeah, the look got me, but the rest of it, I was like, yeah, oh, well. I, know, I think <laughs> it's supposed to be funny because they spent 30 seconds on it and Arrested Development doesn't spend 30 seconds without 20 jokes. So it must have yeah. been funny. I just didn't get it. And then I realized, ah, Saddam Hussein, yeah, yeah. of course. And then the runner of Glisten comes up as, you know, he says years of brushing with Glisten when he's yes. told that his, his teeth are perfect. Uh, and obviously later on, a, a, a discarded pack of Glisten will be the thing that tips off Michael. And then obviously, you know, George <laughs> Michael says he can't not tell his father. And George counters with, I'm your grandfather. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I guess. I mean, it's funny because I've spoken about this a few times on the podcast, but kind of uh, Michael uh, kind of imitates George Sr. quite a lot and George Michael imitates uh, Michael quite a lot so it is kind of like the most direct line between uh, kind of family members is kind of from Pop Pop down to, to George <laughs> Michael and obviously George Michael bears uh, both their names so um, it feels like the most direct line, even though Job is the oldest. Uh -huh. So you'd expect it to go through him, but nope, it doesn't. Yeah, genetics is mysterious, Darren. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's science. We're not supposed to understand it. <laughs> and so we get the explanation that the Mexican authorities attempted to fake a funeral uh, by by making like a George Senior pinata that kind of falls yeah. out of the coffin and all the kids kind of jump on it and start taking mm. out the candy she's such a kind of weird uh, yeah and that the kids do. it happens often enough um, that they make a funeral pinata the kids know exactly what to do when it tips over they just run in from the side <laughs> like, oh it's another funeral pinata okay let's yeah. get the candy <laughs> yeah <laughs> alright I got and it I got it we call back to um, his motivation for coming back was because he wants to get Lucille back and he saw her kissing Oscar on the TV uh, which was from two episodes back um, and then obviously this is where George Michael says, you know, I can't tell my dad about how upset I am because I should be upset about you. And George goes, yeah. he wouldn't be wrong. Um, <laughs> which I, which I kind of love. And this is where George, you know, kind of decides, 
um, you know, that they're going to share each other's secrets and, and that's kind of what will control George Michael. Uh, and of course, this is where we get the... This is the first time that uh, George Sr. gets to say this, but he will say this a number of times while he's stuck in the attic, uh, where he says... Uh, if you pass a mini-mart, Pop-Pop gets a treat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Lindsay isn't kind of in this episode a great deal, apart from when we get to the, the wake and she's wearing the T-shirt that she wore to the prison. Um, yeah. But she makes a really great joke here when... Um, George Michael is going to go and eat some of his grandfather's favourite foods and I just love this line where he goes that's the form my grief is taking <laughs> right and and we'll note that uh, among those favourite foods is a large bowl yes. of hard boiled eggs <laughs> yeah um, yeah and that's I think what tips Michael off because he thinks that he's hiding Anne in the attic and Lindsay says from who the Nazis <laughs> yeah, um, right. which <laughs> And of course, the joke works perfectly because her name is Anne. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, it's such a. I'm going to guess they didn't name the character so they could make that joke, but sometimes I feel certainly like, hope not. But yeah, yeah. it's yeah. A, right. It, it it works simply too well. <laughs> I think they just stumbled into the whole attic Anne thing, and they kind of mm. came up with that. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, <laughs> this is where we start to see Lindsay unexpectedly being upset at her father's death. Hmm. Um, where he kind of you know he kind of talks about Michael talks about George Senior in kind of like a, a bad light, and Lindsay finishes by saying he was so amazing. <laughs> Michael has to say that's an example of how not so amazing he was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she she kind of you know she talks about how she used to to kind of cry. She used to um, you know imagine uh, that her mother had died but she always ended up smiling and ruining it which of course <laughs> highlights their relationship whereas you know whereas we have kind of the whole George Michael George Michael kind of relationship kind of works we have the Lucille Lindsay relationship um, and even Lucille Lindsay maybe and none of those relationships work in any way um, right you know it's kind of like the opposite basically it does work um, that Lindsay's a bit upset like it's she does have that relationship yeah. with with her dad that the others sort of don't have. I mean, it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's 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 it's, it's yeah. nicer than pretty much all the other relationships in the show. <laughs> if if, yeah. if off putting, it's still a little bit nicer. And then we get probably one of Tobias's great speeches. Uh, <laughs> yes, where he says, "Here he comes, here comes John Wayne. I'm not gonna cry about my pa. I'm gonna build an airport." Put my name on it. Why, Michael? So you can fly away from your feelings. You can keep them bottled up, but they will come out, Michael. Sometimes in the most unexpected... Hey, where the f*** are my hard-boiled eggs? <laughs> and... It's I... <laughs> just rewatching it, I just about lost my mind laughing at his John Wayne impression. Like, gonna build an airport, put my name on it as like this epitome of masculinity, and also like the idea that that's how the airport got its name was because it was John Wayne's idea. <laughs> There's just so many ways that that was just God, just a perfect, perfect run. And of course, that explains you know uh, why there were already all those hard boiled eggs for right. For Mike, <laughs> he had made those George ahead of Michael time. to take. Looking forward to them. Yeah, and uh, I too would be. I'd be asking where the f are my hard boiled. Eggs? I made hard boiled eggs the other day, you guys, and it takes a <laughs> while. You invest time in it, 
And then you have fun little snack packs for like the next couple days. Like it's, you know, it's upsetting to lose track of your heart. <laughs> it also marks the first time in American TV or movies where somebody took leftovers out of the fridge and it wasn't fried chicken. Because that happens in virtually every... Se- I'm always jealous when I see them. My leftovers are never fried chicken. And I have, they open up a fridge in a sort of well-to-do place in an American tele... I'm like, oh man, fried chicken again. That looks awesome. And if- yeah, my, my leftovers are never fried chicken either. Because I always eat all the fried chicken and there's no leftovers, huh? And of course... Delicious. Uh, Tobias walks off. And it's worth noting this is the first time this season that we've seen Tobias... who We're not being... You know, we're not wearing blue makeup. Um... The previous, oh, oh, wow. the previous three That's episodes, right. he's always been head to toe in blue. Um, and he walks off sadly. And of course, he walks off sadly past a wall that is covered in blue handprints. Um, because they are all over the house, basically. Um, and then obviously, um, Job is looking to see where the hold is going to be. And, um, you know, it was it was dug out <laughs> three days earlier, is, uh, is, is what we're told. Um, I don't know how Joe Senior got the labourer to to do that i don't know where he got the money i don't like i it's not worth kind of puzzling over too much but it's just kind of curious that they just kind of go it was dug out three days ago yeah i don't know how joe yeah. senior paid them but it's a funny joke uh and then we see buster shopping for a birthday card and it has a picture <laughs> of the green reaper on and he opens it up and it says uh somebody wanted to see you and send you a birthday greeting and of course buster thinks oh that is wicked wicked and i love oh yes it's it's like oh delightfully wicked (laughs) and i love how quickly buster has kind of adopted this black humor as being the reason (laughs) for the kind of funeral themed birthday party for for oscar it's like i don't know it's it's kind of so so odd and then obviously you know um maybe he decides that she's gonna um you know, clean her mother up, uh, which basically means, you know, putting her in a, a t-shirt that says slut on it, which was something that Lindsay willingly bought herself. So uh, <laughs> I don't feel like we can criticize it. Um, I mean, it first appeared in My Mother the Car, you know, where she was visiting the prison and wearing it. And obviously... Right, trying to provoke a reaction from the from the prisoners, yes. Yes, and, um, you know, she later on, she, she will wear it again, um, in the campaign video for, uh, for George Michael, um, worth noting that that episode, of course, is written by Abraham Higginbotham, um, and then she will wear it. Oh, yeah. She will wear it again in um, the penultimate ep- episode for Exit Strategy. So they make good use of that shirt. It's not just one and done. And then obviously, <laughs> Lindsay says, "I'm going to throw on a skirt, take off my underwear, and make your pop up proud." And, and maybe maybe putting down a canopy goes, wait a minute, let me ask Barry. That might be enough right there. Uh. <laughs> Alia Shortcut's sort of like commenting on the action works perfectly when she's with Lindsay. Yeah. It's almost like yeah. she's sort of the only one that can step out a little bit. And I don't know if, I don't know if they tailored that to the actress after they saw how she sort of comes across on screen or whether the, the character was written by that. But she always gets that perfect, that sort of commenting on while being in mm-hmm. the show, which is one of the sort of few ones that, that actually do that. Well, I'm, yeah, they have had yeah. comments where they, they said maybe has been feeling left out, you know, which happened after <laughs> a run of episodes where she was barely in anything. So I feel like they do kind of use her character a little bit. And particularly once we get into the whole stuff with the studio, 
studio, and her job yeah. at the studio. That that becomes a big commentary on some of the stuff that's happening in the show. Right. Uh, she's she's kind of the primary she's kind of the primary channel through which the kind of meta and fourth wall type joking takes place. And of course, we get here George and George Michael. Um, this is kind of the first time in I'm going to say almost a season that they've actually just had a storyline between these two because obviously. Uh, with George Senior being in prison, his kind of chances to interact with other characters were very limited. Um, so this is kind of the biggest kind of storyline that they get together, uh, pretty much all season. Because obviously after this episode, um, Michael sets up the fiction that that George Senior has run away. So this is really the only episode they get <laughs> right. to spend a lot of time together. Um, and I love how George is kind of giving George Michael tons of stuff to say. <laughs> George Michael's just like, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, all his... You, as he's, he's saying, like, uh, I want you to say, say to your uh, uncle, shame on you. When you say that, shame on you. He's like, I, I'm I'm probably not going to say that. <laughs> and um, this is where we get this. This is only the second family member to, to refer to Anne with a question, um, where... George Michael describes her as It's the girl who ripped my heart out. The girl whose face will always be etched in my mind. And George Senior goes, Huh? And then George Michael says, <laughs> yes. She's really funny. And I think it's it's funny because in the previous episode, <laughs> when Job saw her, he was confused and he was like, Is she funny or something? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of nice that they they are kind of trying to say that Anne, when not in the company of the blues, uh, is funny. I, I think it might also be yep. that uh, that uh, George Michael has sufficiently internalized the. It's like he's 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 ready with that excuse for why he's with her. Like he's internalized people's disbelief <laughs> to the extent that like he'll just go ahead and say, "Uh, it's she's funny. It's because she's funny." Is that when he says, "Well, let's hope so"? That he finishes it off with, "Let's hope so." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. right. <laughs> we just need to be cru- we just need to be really cruel about this. Let's get one last dig in at this poor young woman. And of course, he says, "Don't forget the chicken wings," which will become yeah. a, a joke in, in, in kind of later on in the next scene. And then I love how Michael never remembers that he's interacted with Anne because yes. he says, yes. "You got my message," and she's like, "It wasn't a message." We talk. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a couple of episodes ago when he in, where he basically let Anne into the house <laughs> and George Michael had to say, she's over there. You, you let her in. in. Yeah, the camera, that's like yeah, the camera moves a slightly, like pans slightly to the left, I think, and just reveals her just standing there in the middle yeah. of the room. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's um, uh, I, uh, an, another bit of Michael cruelty of Anne that was really great on this episode was in he, he, he refers to something as being as uh as it's as Anne as a nose on plane's face (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, and then of course we get the entrance of buster in kind of the most flamboyant kind of uniform Um, and i love his excuse when he goes it's our regulation michael to get the top right the pants had to be a little snug little Uh, snug yeah (laughs) What about the what about the Bismarck helmet you got going on there? <laughs> yeah. Is that regulation? In a, that's a West Coast sort of army thing, is it? It makes it makes me think like who 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 out there is ordering a stripper and thinks a you know a, a classic German Empire pickelhaube is an erotic <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> bit of attire. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I, it must be specifically for the royal family. Yeah, I I, I mean <laughs> it's such a it's such an odd joke, but I just kind of love. 
And also, kind of, I never understand if Buster is actually in the army at this particular point, or if he's just pretending to be in the army. If he's still pretending, or... right. Well, I think in the, uh, I think, I believe in the, in the very next episode, it actually, one of the plot points is Buster having trouble getting over a certain obstacle on the obstacle course in the army. Yeah. And then getting mildly frustrated that the army is no longer allowed to have their, their, uh, drill sergeants shout homo, like, uh, homophobic <laughs> epithets at people. Yeah. To motivate them. <laughs> so I, I think at this point he actually is in the army and it's just, you know, th- this man's army that has half days and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, this is where they try to direct Buster out of here because, you know, they don't, they don't want him to know it's awake. Um, and so, Job takes him to get the coffin ready to be buried which I don't, I mean Buster kind of just doesn't seem to be able to figure it out Um, and then obviously this is where Michael calls for people to uh, make speeches and I love George Michael's speech because obviously it's a speech of a kid who knows that the person he's giving a speech about isn't dead and can kind of hear him so (laughs) it's kind of very kind of like matter of fact uh, where he, especially when he starts with Wow, he's really gone. <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and I love how he finishes with saying I'll be bringing you some salmon rolls right away. And then the, the beat and he goes <laughs> Heaven. And then obviously we cut to George Senior <laughs> going How many times I gotta tell this kid chicken wings? And I, I, chicken wings. I love how kind of quickly that is uh, paid off. I, I, what um. I, what I love most about that run is Michael Sarah's, uh, just not, not smug exactly, but almost like beatific expression when he like looks around and sort of nods and says, "Have <laughs> <laughs> you?" Know, like, yeah. <laughs> like he's so like for like Mike, George Michael is actually showing a very canny kind of you know social performance there. He's he's not normally uh, mm. capable of. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. And then obviously you know we see Lindsay. She's kind of crying. She's She's got snot running down. Um, she she's basically broken up and distraught about the fact that her father might be dead, which is kind of the most genuine reaction out of um, any of the the Bluth kind of kids. Um, and then I love how George says, "That's a home run." <laughs> <laughs> like if there if there really is if there is any character who would probably most enjoy being able to witness their own funeral you know memorial service yeah. it's george senior i think he probably does yeah. get the most enjoyment out of something like that and i mean i think this is kind of an allusion to uh tom sawyer and hook finn watching their own funeral oh yeah so yeah it's kind of, you know kind of i mean like sometimes things are kind of just there but I mean, to me, it feels a little bit of a reference to that. Uh, honestly, uh, Darren, you, you've out-American me, because <laughs> I, I did not pick up on that, and uh, that's, you know, Mark Twain is the great American author, and I should be ashamed of myself. Yeah, you should. And um... <laughs> You just nailed me, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, this is where we get a callback to a joke which is in a previous episode, which is as Michael starts to talk, he just says, uh, uh, I've had a very complicated relationship with my father, and Ice, of course... Uh, decides this is a good time to make iced smoothies <laughs> so he starts up the blender <laughs> yeah. and uh, Michael has to tell him to cool it with the smoothies and um, of course George Senior's yeah. like there are smoothies so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's it's a not good really re- that concerned it's a good reveal of the joke too because when it cuts to the smoothies like Anne and George Michael are there so George Michael just gave a speech and then when everyone else was talking just walked over to get a smoothie 
Yeah, it's like, like yeah, it's time to go to the smoothie he's station. Like, okay, because he because he knows he's not dead. That's yes. the thing; he's not affected I'm yet. Go he knows he's not yeah, you know, Michael's speech. I would like to say is is kind of touching, but it's not like what everyone is looking for because it's not like a very big <laughs> speech. Uh, and obviously, Job's like, uh, "Can we move the eulogy outside so I can time being lowered into Dad's grave with your big thing?" <laughs> and Michael's just like. I'm done. Yes. <laughs> He's like, wow, that was your eulogy. <laughs> and I kind of love how disappointed uh, Job is. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, George Sr. would be happy with that speech. You know, they, they have quite a complicated relationship, which is kind of what he says. And I think it's kind of true. Um, and then obviously, <laughs> Michael says, no more secret trips to the attic to George Michael. And obviously, George Michael thinks that um, <laughs> he doesn't want to betray his grandfather, but obviously he can't lie to his father. So he says, I have yes. pop-up in the attic. Of course, Michael what? gives us one of possibly the best lines where he says, the mere fact that you can't make me love pop-up tells me you're not ready. Um, <laughs> something which just... will be called back to in season three, but the, with it being the opposite way around. Uh, yes. But yeah, I just love it. And of course, Joba just interrupts saying, hey, before we lose the sun. And I just love how impatient <laughs> he is. He doesn't really care that it's awake. He just cares that he's going to do this magic trick. Um, before we lose the and then sun. Obviously, illusion, Darren. Uh, <laughs> is this illusion. <laughs> and here we get him giving... I mean, we get this is only the second time that we've heard the final countdown with a magic trick. Oh yeah, um, like it's been used kind of in the office when he's been shooting pennies everywhere. Yeah. But this is kind of the, the only really the second time where he's done it in a staged performance. And then of course I, I just I just love when he's like uh, the speeches we heard today are nothing more than words, but I will prove that I love my father more than anybody. <laughs> and I love the kind of this is a normal coffin. It's like that's the what? worst patter in the yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the dancing really. Um, I always saw that same joke as when he looks at Buster. It's, it's that very Conan O'Brien. Only I may dance to Bart during the. the I didn't do it oh, yeah. episode. Has a yes. real sort of twinge of it. Like, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. as the music plays, Buster starts doing the same dance that Job is doing, and and he keeps kind of swatting at him and trying to get him to stop. Um, and then, of course, when he goes. Take me halfway round, which I just love the kind of. Oh, it's just great. And then, of course, he goes, I will become my father's dead body as I'm lowered into the grave. And then this is where Buster kind of realizes uh, what's going on. And then I love how he figures right. it out when he goes, The card, the card. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, obviously, the, uh, <laughs> the trapdoor gives out, Job falls into the hole, and then the coffin falls on top of him. <laughs> And you just hear Joe go, something's gone wrong. Which is kind of an understatement yeah. as he's being crushed by this coffin and then the dirt is kind of lowered onto him. Right. It's, yeah, it's it's the dirt pile. Like, at, at no point, like, I guess whoever he hired to, to work the bulldozer just, you know, was like, hey, I got paid to do a job. Time <laughs> to shovel dirt in. <laughs> yeah. And of course, this is where the Glisten runner pays off where Michael finds the, the pack in the dirt. Uh, and he realizes what pop pop in the attic meant, and of course George is, and this I feel is a callback to the pilot, where he's in the Aztec tomb and he's easily found, mm -hmm. because obviously that's what happened in the pilot, <laughs> where and that's what got thrown <laughs> yes. got, got Joe thrown out of the alliance when Trisha Thune explained the trick on TV, <laughs> and then obviously you know George insists he's an innocent man, he's a patsy, he signs some documents, 
uh, please don't turn me in. That line's great too because it's as if signing documents can't be a crime. I just signed some documents. <laughs> yeah, well, if you sign documents to provide <laughs> stuff to the Iraqis, then that's a crime. Like, you know, right. That's, 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 they're exactly not mutually exclusive. Like <laughs> uh, and then obviously Michael decides that, you know, his son can't be an accomplice. And then obviously this is where maybe presents <laughs> Lindsay to Ice. Because uh, uh, earlier in the episode, she'd actually, it was something we skipped over, but Lindsay said to Ice, uh, maybe you'd like to cater an affair with me. And he was like, yeah, just, you know, once you've got the numbers, here's my card, contact me. Like completely missing the innuendo. Um, and then here, you know, uh, Lindsay just says, I find you very attractive. And maybe says, and she cleans up nice too, trust me. And I think that's where also Ice uh, just says, yeah. and now I'm off the clock. Yeah. And, and he's actually receptive to it. Because the thing is, the whole time Ice is just <laughs> let it go. professional, guys. Yeah. He's that good. <laughs> well, I, I like that maybe is basically the opposite of Lucille in that she's saying, you know, her mom is attractive. And, yeah, you know, yeah. whereas Lucille constantly goes on at Lindsay about her looks and her weight and everything, you know, maybe knows that her that Portia de Rossi is ridiculously gorgeous. Right. Especially <laughs> in 2004. And so, you know... It, it, it's, it's just insane that anyone in the family thinks that she's not. But of course, this is where Michael reveals that dad is hiding in the attic. Um, Buster goes, he's upstairs, which I, I just kind of love, as if he doesn't understand where the attic is. And then obviously this is where Ice is back, but on a different job where he says, stack the chafing dishes out by the mailbox. I'm on the job. And off he goes. Uh, and I love how Lindsay says, I can't seem to give this away. <laughs> and of course, Barry then chimes in saying, I just found the will, uh, which I kind of love. And then George addresses Michael as Mikey, which is something that he did in the season finale of season one, where as he stole the Iraq papers, he hugged him pretending to be Oscar and said, thanks, Mikey, then. So uh, yeah. that's kind of like an indication that you are definitely dealing with George Sr. and not Oscar. Um, yes. And then obviously, you know, Michael, uh, you know, is now going to keep this secret. This will, this is kind of uh, a favorite storyline of mine, just of, you know, the whole Michael George Sr. in the attic kind of stuff. Because although they did a lot of stuff in the prison in the first season, you know, this kind of lets the relationship get kind of expanded a little bit more. And then obviously we also get Jeffrey Tambor as Oscar. So he gets to interact with other family members a bit more from that point of view. So yeah, they yeah. really kind of expanded what they could do with Jeffrey Tambor. Cause I think it went rewatch having rewatched all of season one for this podcast. I feel sometimes he's a little wasted yeah. when they're in the prison because he's kind of, they're kind of very stuck with what they could do with him. Um, so I think this is kind of a good move in terms of how they get more out of uh, Jeffrey Tambor in this second season. And then obviously this is where George Michael kind of, confesses that she actually broke up with him where Anne broke up with him rather than the other way around um, and then obviously <laughs> Michael's speech has you know put them back together and Michael goes ah it was so moving <laughs> yes and um, he just goes oh well this is great well we're family and we stick together huh hmm. okay let's go dig up your uncle Yes. <laughs> uh, and what you know what's what's interesting that and that, that i've learned guys because like thinking about it and, like think about the episode um like having watched it and talked about it with you guys like it's honestly pretty incredible that any like anyone outside of the immediate sort of circle of creators of rest development could step in and write a script 
Yeah. Because it's just as, it's just as elusive and densely sort of populated with jokes and callbacks and call forwards as any other Arrested Development script. So that's kind <laughs> of, uh, good on you, yeoman sitcom crafter <laughs> Jeff Melman. Uh, having cut your teeth on the great knighted court, uh, we, we salute you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and here's the thing, we get the on the next, <laughs> and Buster finds out about the death of Captain Kangaroo, uh, yeah. which leads to him destroying yeah. the entire of Balboa Tower's apartment, that entire room. Um, and of course, something we, again, once again, I skipped over something, but when Buster destroyed <laughs> the, uh, the dustbuster because he thought that was the housekeeper's favorite toy. Oh yeah, he threw <laughs> he threw the dustbuster which he thought was Rose's favorite toy at the bus which he thought was Rose's car. Yeah. Uh, once again, kind of framing how privileged he is. So, so this kind of yes. death of Captain Kangaroo is the is the 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 rule of three on that particular joke. Um, and then obviously, you know, <laughs> Michael leaves the attic saying, "Pop Pop does not get a treat." So obviously this is kind of becoming a, a regular thing. Um, and then we see that Job finally makes the cover of Poof magazine. And obviously he's on there as a, is it goof of the year? I think it says. Yeah. Poof, yeah. poof goof I think, of the yeah, year. I think, yeah, the poof goof of the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something that we'll actually get called back to in, in, um, in future episodes when Job tries to do uh, more magic tricks, basically. Hmm. Um, I think the Sword of Destiny episode is when it gets... When they finally introduce oh, Tony yeah, yeah. Under, I think they kind of call back to the goofs. Uh, and that is the episode. Um, is there anything else that you guys think we need to cover? No, that, that's a, a, a marvelous uh, rundown of yeah. one of, I think in retrospect, one of my favorite single episodes of uh, of the series. So this was this was really great. We were able to talk with it at length with you guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, because, but no, I, I really love it because it is like, it's an episode that ties together, like it has, uh, like again, like callbacks and call forwards. So it's it's woven into the texture of the show. There's a lot of like, there's a there's a lot of great recurring joke moments. Like uh, like I, I'm I'm with uh with uh, Australia Daniel in that I I <laughs> just love how cruel they are to Anne, <laughs> and the, just that the episode starts off with uh Michael absently calling her egg on a phone call. It's just <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time. Just out of nowhere. Um. Yeah. Yeah, just out of nowhere, and uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, I, I think it's one of the like, I mean, if if it didn't have so many reference, uh, if it didn't make so many references to you know what happened earlier in the show, and it didn't require some some context to actually understand what the jokes are, I would say this would be a really good introductory episode to the show, yeah. just because it captures a lot of the spirit of it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like. Uh, you know what can you tell people like no you have to start at the beginning and watch it straight through like there's no other way yeah there's no other way to do it i think i think because at the beginning of season two they kind of reintroduce a number of the various storylines that are going on uh they've already tied up like most of the storylines in season one so you could kind of just start with you know the first few episodes of season two and lead into this episode and i think it it would work but yeah i think there's a lot of jokes that kind of call back to stuff from season one that uh, you know, you're kind of better off understanding that, you know, having seen season one. I did think about four or three or four minutes into the episode, I realized that no matter how much I love other shows, and I, I might not call Rest Development my favorite show ever, I laughed more in that three or four minutes watching a show I've seen five times before than I probably had yeah. at whole episodes of any comedy in the last, since, since Arrested Development. It's the one that makes me <laughs> laugh the most. Like, I actually laugh out loud. Yeah. 
yeah. more and quicker than pretty much any I think any other show I've ever actually yeah. watched. I think and I the, mean and the density, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say for me the only show that kind of matches it is one that ha- that shares a number of writers and directors from this show and that's Community. Okay, you know, yeah. Because there's a lot it kind of relies on a similar kind of thing of having call forwards and flash forwards and kind of layering jokes in and then calling back to them later on and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um but yeah, I mean Yeah, like a kind of they have whole rafts of jokes that are more or less dependent on a a familiarity with the show mythology. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, that is, and, and there's, you know, there, there are right ways and wrong ways to do that. And I, and I think uh, that the, as you're saying, like that kind of core creative team behind, uh, behind rest development and community, right? They really, they really managed to do it right where it's, yeah it's the kind of show that I think anyone who like caught it randomly, there's enough just on the front jokes for them to get and enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, but yeah, there's, there's so much more depth and so many more layers to all the silliness like when you when you know when you know it and when you rewatch it you know yeah. well i mean you've you found some jokes today that you didn't even know were in there so <laughs> I, here here we are literally 13 <laughs> what, or uh, uh 12 years after the original air i have watched the series through I, I can't tell you how many times um probably at least 10 times you know I, I, just over time I've, I've seen each episode at least 10 times and yeah i never i never <laughs> noticed the the friggin you know lucy psychiatrist thing right at the top yeah uh and you know and i've watched the show sober drunk otherwise um affected you know opening up my doors of perception in every possible way and i still missed it yeah <laughs> that's what i love about the show um on the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, we're going to be covering episode five, which is called Sad Sack. Of course, um, that may, that marks the return of uh, Wayne Jarvis, um, and we get to see some, uh, well, I believe everyone thinks it's desert landscape from Iraq. Uh, so, <laughs> turns That's out right. to it's not a very be enjoyable that. episode. Yeah, so join me for that. Uh, and I'm going to ask both of you guys, uh, I'm going to start with uh, Daniel in America. Do you have anything that you wish to plug? Uh, well, no, I uh, I, I uh, don't have any active projects at the moment. Um, I'm just a man about town. I'm just loving life. So, you know what I'm going to plug? <laughs> living your life, you know, living the dream. <laughs> Do you have a Twitter handle? <laughs> get a, get on it, everyone. Follow? Huh? Do you have a Twitter handle? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you'd like to, I use Twitter mostly for uh, silliness. Uh, of all sorts, so if that sounds cool to you, um, my Twitter handle is at Charlemagnum PI, <laughs> a, a portmanteau of Charlemagne and Magnum PI. But uh, I'm also my display name is Daniel Dotty, so if you see that in the show notes, you can search that on Twitter and, and you'll be able to find me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Daniel in Australia, uh, I'll plug the Duff. Uh, I don't have any projects at all. Watch, uh, watch, yeah. watch the Duff. It's fun. It's not, it's not perfect right now, but for a little teen movie, it's. Uh, sweet and fun and and may whitman's very enjoyable um and yeah. i'm on twitter at, it has our may in it it does yeah. have our may in it and people are horrible to her in it um so that's that's her wheelhouse people being horrible to a young child to a, a young woman <laughs> um and uh yeah i'm on twitter at dfland just all one word and you were on the final ever episode of um as if so you know people could always listen to you there yeah, yeah, I I enjoyed that very much. This, this is uh, two uh, right in my wheelhouses. Clueless and Arrested <laughs> Development are uh, two of the building, uh, the foundation stones of my taste. That's for sure. Uh, so thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to you guys for being guests. Uh, sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And otherwise, thank you. Uh, goodbye. Bye. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>